quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. If you can save a day here, a day there, not that you don't want to be careful about how you spend your money, of course, of course. but saving time and doing things quickly is far more important than doing things inexpensively. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with David Coe. David is joining us from Los Angeles. He is an investor and developer at Capital Stack Investments, which syndicates infill new construction projects in Los Angeles. Currently GP of 85 units across five properties and an LP in several deals as well. David, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, what you're currently focused on? Yeah, so I started my career fixing and flipping houses with my wife. I'm an ex-corporate guy, worked in marketing and advertising for a while and had a couple kids. And as they were getting older, I spent a lot of time traveling on the road versus getting to spend time with the kids. So made the migration into real estate in 2006 and seven, started fixing and flipping homes, was having a great time until 2009 and 2010. And we managed our way through it and started getting more involved in the real estate investing community, started learning more about kind of the economics of real estate versus just focusing on the individual home of real estate. And then over my career, got more involved on the passive side of investing, kind of moved over on the general partner side on a couple of deals as well. And as you mentioned, we really like doing new construction infill here in LA, but I also do run a residential real estate team. I'm an active realtor, and we mostly focus on one to four units here in the South Bay, which is everything south of LAX, if you know LA. And then I also have part of my team that does specialize in selling new construction homes. So part of my team is working on resale. We do work with a lot of investors. And then part of my team purely focuses on new construction sales, some of which I GP on, some of which we're just the broker on. Gotcha. So the new construction, the stuff that you're developing is primarily single family homes? Yeah, technically they're commercial projects. We've got a 27 unit small lot subdivision. We do a lot of small lot subdivisions, which here in LA density is an issue. So what that is, it's the technical term is a zero lot line new construction project. So we're building 1800 square foot homes on 900 square foot lots that are this far apart from each other, but they are single family homes. They've got their own footings, their own foundations. There's no adjoining walls. And that's been one of the city of Los Angeles's way. They kind of call it medium density. It's home ownership without having. (laughs) There are very few places in the world where you can get away with calling that medium density. But I guess LA is one of them. Composed to a seven story, 200 unit apartment building. And it's home ownership. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And how big are the lots, did you say? average thing we build is an 1800 square foot home on a 900 square foot lot. So yes, I said that correct. So think of three and four story units, super modern. Yeah. Yeah. First time home buyer, maybe second time home buyer, just because older people don't like all the stairs. We do a lot in the city of LA, a lot up in the Valley. 
So we have a very, I'll say, high entertainment industry buyer. So we spend a lot of extra time on technology and high design, and we've got a lot of demand for that product out here. David, as you know, the Best Ever Podcast is a commercial real estate investing podcast, but I'm also a residential real estate agent here in Cincinnati. After I bought my house hack, I became an agent to become a better investor, to get more involved. So this isn't really for the Best Ever listeners. This is mostly just for me, but I have to ask, 1,800 square feet in three or four stories on a 900 square foot lot. The first two questions that come to mind are first, of course, what's the price point for these things when they're built? Well, you'll especially appreciate this being, you said from Ohio, Cincinnati? Yes, Cincinnati, Ohio. Actually, when we first started three years ago, I'd say these price points were in the high 700s to the low 800s. That same home now is probably in the mid and high 900s into the 1.1 to 1.2 range. Gotcha. So it's all house, no land. But again, this particular buyer, they aren't as concerned about having a big backyard. They're newly married. They're starting a family. It's been a big part of what's driving this real estate upward cycle over the last three years is that millennials hit the home buying phase and they're getting married. They're starting families and they like the idea of having something they can lock up, travel, and not have to worry about yard maintenance or anything else. And uh, quite honestly, we can't build them fast enough. Cincinnati is an old enough city that we have a lot of residential parcels that are incredibly narrow because you're talking about old school row houses, shotgun style, built in the late 1800s. In the early 1900s, lots were a little more square and you have more street frontage. But the old, old neighborhoods for us, that's from the Civil War until the turn of the century. You have a lot of those really narrow parcels. So what I'm envisioning, help me, David, three to four stories Correct my assumptions here. The first floor is actually more like the garage and stairs to the second floor where the second floor is the primary living space. And then the third and maybe fourth floors are bedrooms, full bathrooms, maybe a deck if there's some sort of view involved. Is that what you're building? Yeah, pretty much. And I've had someone compare what we do is to modern brownstones, right? So the same thing. That, yes, that, you know, absolutely. Post-Civil War era, New York style, dense construction, bricks built that far apart from each other. That's exactly For- it. The, only, the only thing that's probably a little different is our first floor, our base design. We actually have a bedroom and a bathroom and the garage on the first level. And then bedrooms could be on the second, living could be on the third or vice versa, depending on the model okay. Plan and usually that fourth level is a rooftop deck of some kind or a loft with a patio. It kind of depends on the particular project. Shout out to Cincinnati, Ohio. You talked about Brooklyn brownstones. All of those developers, including the developers of the Brooklyn Bridge, started in Cincinnati. I think uh-huh. they just wanted to get their reps in and figure out that they knew that what they were doing before they went to Brooklyn. But we have practice a lot of practice on Ohio. Is that how it they, works? They practice on. That's exactly what happened. First of all, Cincinnati was a booming metropolis at the time, third largest city in the Union coming out of the Civil War. But yes, our Roebling Bridge was a practice for the Brooklyn Bridge. So I'm very familiar with the construction you're talking about. And there are very urban neighborhoods here in Cincinnati where that same thing is being built now. Price points considerably lower. They start in the fours, get to the sixes here, have nice views of downtown, especially in the sixes. But yeah, okay. So let's be a commercial real estate investing podcast again, David. I would love to hear about the numbers. I introduced you as syndicating these opportunities. Let me fill in a couple of gaps and then I have some questions. Correct me 
anywhere that I'm wrong, David. You said usually around 27 units. These are relatively small projects for ground up construction of single family. Thinking from the perspective of an investor who may be interested in this kind of deal is likely comparing it to traditional multifamily value-add syndication with a three to seven year hold period. There's cash flow involved, so there's a preferred return, but you're looking at an IRR. Let's not be 2022 specific. It's an IRR of 15 to 20%, 2X equity multiple. Let's make a point of comparison between the deals that you've done and that. What do the numbers look like for your investors? Yeah, so actually that's a pretty good description. Our IRRs might be a little bit higher. Our equity multiple might be a little bit higher. And more than probably the biggest thing is that these aren't build to rent projects, right? These are build to sell projects. So our timelines are way shorter. And depending on whether or not we're raising capital at the entitlement phase versus raising capital at the construction phase, which are two distinctly different phases, the IRR will be vastly different. Entitlement, especially here in Los Angeles and California, is a wild card. And because of that, it's hard to estimate the amount of time it's going to take to get all your permits. And for for people that are interested in wanting to understand more about that, entitlement is basically just getting your permits, right? Submitting everything to the city and going through the process of getting your permits to build. These are commercial projects. Going into it, this is definitely a commercial project. The end unit is a residential unit, but these are commercial projects. And, and we do have some of these units that we're selling. We've had investors, they like this because they don't have land maintenance, right? So they become really good right? rental. Yeah. It's, and Slocum in LA, that eight hundred to $950,000 unit, that's a three bedroom, three and a half bath unit, you can rent that for five to six grand a month out here. So there are some good returns on that for the individual residential investor. But we like to be in the low 20s for an IRR, maybe in the high 20s if you're coming in on the entitlement phase, just because there's extra risk and there's extra time that you're probably looking at. And ideally where we like to be now is we actually like to get in once a project has been entitled. Or we want to get in on a project that has a very fast entitlement process. One of the things that we've kind of gravitated towards as time has gone on is building more one to four unit. And I say one to four, we're really starting to move into building fourplexes where we can buy it as a residential unit. It's a buy right entitlement process. So we don't have a lot of discretionary approvals that we need from the city. We can usually get through that in about a six to eight month process. And then they're not commercial grade, they're residential grade, all lumber, no steel. We can build them in less than a year. And when we're done, one of the things that California's done to try to increase density is add what's called accessory dwelling units or ADUs. ADUs, yeah. So we'll convert a garage to an ADU, which becomes our fifth unit. And then we'll take that out with long-term commercial debt because we're now a five plus unit. So that's been one of the things that we've been kind of moving to, especially as market conditions are changing here a little bit. So instead of that buy to sell, we've been looking more at that buy to rent kind of project, but buying a single family lot and building a four unit on it, and then adding that fifth unit is a very 
much faster process than the 27 unit small lots that we've been involved in in the past. The entitlement time is way shorter. The construction time is way shorter. And quite frankly, since you're not looking to exit when you get CO, that's when you're looking to cash flow it and starting to hold it for your cash flow period. We've been looking at IRRs kind of in the high teens for those, I'd say 18 to 19% based on the project equity multiples in that 2.4 for that same five to seven year hold period. Gotcha. That was a lot that you just dropped on us very quickly, David. A couple of things real quick. Comparing this to multifamily value add syndication, when it comes to the build to sell single families, for your investors, you're looking at effectively a comparable or slightly higher IRR and equity multiple than what multifamily syndicators are offering. However, there's no cash flow in the meantime, is there? There is not, not on new construction. Which, which means that because investors are not getting their capital returned to them over time throughout the hold period of the deal, that the actual eventual return at the end will be greater in order to hit that higher IRR because you returned all the capital at the end instead of returning some of it through the duration of the process. Talking all of this out loud for myself as much as for the best ever listeners, David. Now, when you're building fourplexes, four units being the most that you can while still qualifying as residential property, of course, and then put a garage on it and turn the garage into an ADU after the fact so that you're getting five units, even though you were able to construct with residential requirements. You build that, you rent it, you then sell it as a cash flowing rental property or you keep it and refi. Yes and yes, right? One of the good things about these smaller deals is that we kind of can create what the end strategy is based on kind of what the intent of the investor is. Here in LA, having a property and really anywhere in America, right? Being one mile apart could have a completely different vibe, totally. you know, with the project, totally. right? So some of these projects are more about, look, especially if they're in a more residential area, that might be the one where we want to lease it up. We want to stabilize it. We generally will do the cash out refi once we get full C of O on that. We don't return a lot of investor capital at that point in time, just because we don't want to take on a lot of debt on the back end, which will affect the cash flow. So we'll kind of look at the capital event at the end, the liquidation period of the investment to where they're going to get their appreciation and instead try to minimize the amount of debt during the whole period to increase the cash flow, which we're looking at about a six to 8% cash on cash after we've gone through and, and done completion on those types of projects. There are some, though, that we have a long hold period horizon on, especially if we're in Hollywood, areas that are really appreciating quickly, that are close to job centers. This is a very similar renter to the avatar that we're selling houses to, but maybe it's that Netflix engineer who's coming out here. They're just going to be here for two or three years, and then they know they're not going to stay here long term, or they're an attorney. We've got so many different industries here in Southern California that people can work in. So we definitely build those more like a roommate situation. Every bedroom has a bathroom in it and there's always a house bath. And again, we're running those for five to $6,000 a month per unit, right? So if you've got a four unit, you've got a good 25,000 and maybe another 2,500 off the ADU. 
we're grossing close to 25 to 30 grand a month off of those. And when we can get one of those in a location that we think is going to stay a good rental property for a long time, we may go through a couple of cycles of cash out refining as the value builds, slowly return some equity to investors over time and just kind of keep that cash flow machine rolling. Gotcha. So assuming you're going to hold it long term, 25 to 30,000 monthly gross rent from five units, what kind of valuation is that going to get? If you decide to refinance and how does that compare to your construction costs or your development costs? One of the things that we like about new construction, and you said value add earlier, so I'm going to play off of that typical value add multifamily deal. We look at ourselves as the ultimate value add. We're literally scraping down an old stock inventory and starting brand new. So it takes time. When you get involved in new construction, you have to have patience because it's going to take some time to maybe get through entitlements and take some time to get everything completed. But when you're done, you've got a brand new building, brand new sewer, brand new electrical, brand new plumbing. Everything is brand new. So our difference between gross and net is actually not that different. Our holding costs, especially up front, are really, really low. We don't have a lot of maintenance. This is not low income housing. We're looking at targeting a higher end renters, which we don't have a lot of vacancy on these. There's a lot of demand for that type of unit out here. So our evaluations have been really, really strong. Certain lenders will go up to 80% of what they perceive the, the value of the property to be against our NOI. I think right now it's kind of a funky time. Rates sure. are moving, the Fed's... We're know, recording at the end of May 2022. It's a funky time for everyone in every industry, not just real estate or commercial real estate. Go ahead, David. Yeah, totally. So I would say we're somewhere in that 70 to 80% range at the end of it from a cash out refi standpoint is what the banks are evaluating it on, which is pretty standard to typical multifamily. We're a small multifamily, but on those projects, that's really where we end up. A five-unit apartment building that out here, that five-unit apartment building has a value of about $2.5 million, but it took us with the land acquisition, with the construction costs, we're probably just under $2 million to build it. So our value add is that there's a half a million dollars of equity we could create by being patient and doing new construction and getting a deal in LA is really, really hard unless you build it. So that's kind of how we got in. A new construction deal with class A location, class A tenants. Yeah. It's a great long-term hold. And this is maybe diving a little bit too deep in the rabbit hole, but in California, everyone hears about the awful landlord tenant rules and everything's in favor of the tenant versus all the the regulation involved in renovation, much less construction. Oh yeah. Oh, trust me, what we're doing is not for the faint of heart. This is real estate investing at its highest level. It's really complex out here. But part of what we've kind of learned over the years is instead of trying to do complex projects simply and efficiently, let's just find simple and efficient projects to do. Mostly what we're buying are single family homes on a multifamily zone lot. We tear down a single family home, which is usually owner occupied. So we don't have a rental unit that we have to replace and deal with rent stabilization on all of the rent control issues. That's off the table. The fact that it's new construction, new construction is exempt from rent control for 15 years out here in LA. So we avoid that part of it. And because we've got a class A tenant, we don't have a lot of the tenant landlord 
issues that you might have if you've got a class B, class C type of tenant. So that's kind of where I'd say our vision is moving forward. We like the buy and hold strategy. While we like the big pops with new construction, and as a realtor, I love being a GP on one side and the realtor on the other. Don't get me wrong, but we are cash flow investors as well. But our ultimate value out here is we'll just build it because then we know it was built right. We don't have to go back in and wonder what was behind the walls. We did it. We know what's there and we're, we're managing our own stuff. And we found that that's a very profitable place to be. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. David, a couple of things real quick, and then we'll transition to the last segment of the show. First, what you are calling a simple deal is not all that simple to the vast majority of investors. You've just found ways to simplify what is already a complex process. You're not just a newbie active investor is not going to the MLS and recognizing that a single family owner occupied home is sitting on multifamily land that can be developed. And most people are not going to see all of the nuances to a deal that simplify it for you. That's getting towards a larger point that I'd like to make, David. I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. I know people who have come here from California and call it the wild, wild west of real estate investing because it feels to them like it's just lawless here and you can do whatever you want. That's not necessarily the case, but there's a lot less red tape in Ohio than there is in California for sure. I've had the opportunity to interview a few successful commercial real estate investors from California who are doing deals in California, in the Bay Area, LA, places like that recently. And the theme that I'm coming across, David, is that one of the reasons for success, it's a combination. It's one of the reasons why the investors I know who are successful in places like LA are successful, is also the reason 
that the vast majority of people who are interested in real estate investing won't touch Los Angeles. And that's a very high barrier to entry. That high barrier to entry most often shows itself as higher property values and price points that price people out, but also the level of complexity involved in order to accomplish most real estate investment strategies where you are is high enough that it reduces the number of operators in the space and creates opportunity for those who are willing to do the hard work to figure out how it is that they can accomplish what they're accomplishing in Los Angeles. Does that all resonate with you, David? It does. And I'll give Best Ever a shameless plug here. I spoke at Best Ever on on a new construction panel. And actually, there was someone who spoke at Best Ever who was involved in retail and talk about an asset class that has a lot of negative baggage against it right now. Right, yeah. Uh, retail, especially mall type of environments, everyone is migrating out of that space, but there is still a market for retail moving forward. Right? So when you talk about a niche, you talk about being successful, finding a niche, something that you're doing that no one else is doing is something where you can find opportunity. There are a lot of people scared of LA and look, LA is complicated. We do have a lot of moving parts that you've got to navigate to do it. So I think of myself as a niche investor where we're developing properties in a market that just happens to be the second largest DMA in the country that has all kinds of demand for it. We're really short on supply because it's so hard to do. So when you do get something out of the ground and get it permitted, you have a lot of interest either both on the rent side and the for sale side for doing that. So I definitely see this as a niche. We we see ourselves as niche investors and our niche just happens to be in a market that has fantastic weather, a huge economy, a lot of job growth. Our favorite stat when we talk about and defend LA and California, last year, Los Angeles added 293,000 jobs. That's more jobs than Austin. That's more jobs than Denver. It's more jobs in Seattle and it's more jobs than Phoenix combined. So from a job growth standpoint, the metrics of LA, because it's such a big city, offers a ton of opportunity. You just have to have the ability and the patience to learn the system and learn how to navigate it. David, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Awesome. What is the best ever book you recently read? So one of my all-time favorite books, and it's a real estate book. If you haven't read this, it's called Ninja Selling. Have you ever read this book? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, no. It's a great book. And look, it's written as a real estate agent book, but really what it talks about is it talks about selling through attraction versus being an extroverted salesperson. So I think it's helped me a lot in my residential real estate career, but I think it's also helped me a lot in our fundraising capabilities. So being able to attract investors to us versus having to go out and find investors is a lot that I've got from that. But if you are a realtor and looking to build your business, highly recommend Ninja Selling. Awesome. What is your best ever way to give back? I'm super involved in the community. I really love the schools. So the Redondo Beach Educational Foundation is a cause that I've been a board member for for 10 years. We actually do a lot of giving back through my real estate business. We give back a fair amount of our profit at the end of the year to different local charities. And in fact, Memorial Day weekend, I'm not sure when it's going to air, but I'm actually from New Orleans, even though I live out here in LA, we're throwing a huge crawfish boil out a block party and all the money that we raise that day is going to go towards a local school. So 
the way I like to give back is by getting into the community, helping to raise capital, and, and more importantly, volunteering my time. I've got a lot to offer from a nonprofit standpoint, and I've been doing that pretty much ever since I became self-employed and involved in real estate. Nice. David, specific to your development deals and the ones that you've syndicated, what's the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that you learned from it? Best lesson in development is this. The most expensive thing in in construction is time. Nothing is more destructive to a development deal than time. So saving a dollar is way less important than saving a day. If you can save a day here, a day there, not that you don't want to be careful about how you spend your money. Of course, of course. But saving time and doing things quickly is far more important than doing things inexpensively. And we've learned that lesson the hard way a couple of times. You got to tell us about the hard way now, David. Yeah, I mean, look, the hard way is trying to hire inexpensive people that don't show up on time, that have too many jobs. It's really the old adage of you get what you pay for. And if you hire low cost construction help, you're going to get low cost construction work. We've really learned the hard way that it's better to invest in larger subs that have bigger teams. They show up on time, they get their work done on time and being done on time is way more important than being done inexpensively. David, what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice that I always tell people, especially from an investor standpoint, is you cannot look at any real estate deal in a vacuum. The lens you have to look through that deal is through your own lens. So the best thing you can do as an investor is to know thyself. You have to understand why you're investing. You have to understand what it is you're looking to do. Are you looking for cash flow? Are you looking for appreciation? Are you investing for a legacy? What it is... And then look at deals, right? But the deals that I'm doing might be perfectly right for someone and perfectly wrong for someone else. If you don't know what you're trying to accomplish in real estate, it's hard to look at a deal and determine whether it's a good deal. Every deal could be a good deal, but it might not be a good deal for you. So the first thing you have to figure out is who you are, what your risk level are, what your expectations are, what your level of control is. Some people don't like to be in control. Investing passively is the best way for them because they don't want the responsibility of having to make day-to-day decisions. Some people are control freaks and they need to have control over the funds or whilst they feel like their money's being mismanaged no matter who they're investing with. So know thyself and then look at deals. David, where can people get in touch with you? If you go to capitalstackinvestments.com, we have a website up. We've got a couple of projects. Actually, if you want to see pictures of what a small lot subdivision looks like, you can see some photos there. We also get involved in some small multifamily as well. We've got a 15 unit mixed use that's getting ready to break ground in Gardena. But besides finding some really pretty pictures of new construction here in LA, we also have something on our website called Lessons from 50 Deals. And if you sign up for that once a week, we've gotten all kinds of lessons. Usually the lessons are the bad things that happen, not always the good things that happen. But if you sign up for the website, you'll get a lesson a week for the next 50 weeks on some things that we've learned over our careers as investors. And a link to your website, David, is included in the show notes. David, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well. If you've gained value from this conversation about how to succeed in development deals in a metro like Los Angeles, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know that we can add value to through our conversation with David Coe today. Thank you. 
and have a best ever day. Thank you, Slocum. I really appreciate it.